This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Blunt Business here on CannabisRio.com. Thanks for joining us. And make sure, if you haven't done so, to make sure to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please leave a five-star and review us. We'd really appreciate that here on the program. I want to take a couple episodes for this special edition to look back at a couple episodes that we talked about cannabis-themed attractions over on our companion series, Grassroots Marketing. And I thought a couple interviews together would be really interesting, especially up in the Northeast of the United States. A couple of guests we had on recently was, first of all, the executive director of the Core Social Justice Cannabis Museum and the founder and CEO of Seed Dispensary, April Arasate, who joined us on Grassroots Marketing a few months back to talk about some great work they're doing over there focusing on the history of cannabis. And then after that, we're talking to the co-founder of the House of Cannabis based in New York City. Amazing things going on with both of these guests. So let's begin with our first interview with April Arasante. Our guest that we have here on this particular installment, something very fascinating that she's working on together. Uh, she has a cannabis museum that is focused on the drug wars wanting to change hearts and minds. That's the focus of a Forbes article that just recently got released and is the focus of my guest right now on the program. She's the executive director of the Core Social Justice Cannabis Museum and the founder and CEO of Seed Dispensary. And I'm here with April Arosante. April, thanks for being on with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And if you want to go and follow along once we're going to talk about it, it's uh, corecannabis.org. C-O-R-E, Cannabis.org. It aims to provide a platform for multiple perspectives relating to the defective system of cannabis law in the United States. So this museum that you put together and the idea for people to go and come and visit, what was the onus, what was the inspiration behind it, besides the fact of the dispensary that you already have that's also adjacent to the museum? Talk to me about that. Yeah, so, you know, I, I had been in cannabis for quite some time you know, really wanted to make sure that I, I formed a business um, that had a mission associated with it. I think it's very important. It's good for employees. It's good for the business. And also, 
it had just been a driving passion of mine to expose the hypocrisies that are so apparent in the war on drugs, which is a failed program that has done nothing but devastate the lives of cannabis consumers. You know, it's called the Social Justice Cannabis Museum because to to us, social justice means that any any class of people who has been persecuted over time has the, you know, the same rights and opportunities as others. And we believe that cannabis consumers have been persecuted over the last hundred years and it's time to end that reign of terror. Now, April, part of your play as to why you would go ahead and be so dedicated to this kind of cause is because you have been an attorney and you have you were actually part of the Medical Marijuana Committee in the state of Connecticut for the Connecticut State Bar. And you've done legal education. You work with pharmaceuticals and you have a lot of background in the various areas of understanding the plant, understanding where the plant, in terms of a legal sense, that the law, the laws that we now have in our country are still very much archaic, that it's time to go ahead and make a change to that. So when it comes to decriminalization, is that more of an importance if there was just a Schedule One removal as opposed to ever seeing any federal legalization? Because at this point, I don't see where that federal rollout of legalization comes in any, anywhere within the next three to five years. Is this something that decriminalization would be a better solution while we're waiting for something else? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a series of different issues at play here. And, you know, I started out in medical cannabis when the medical program rolled out in the state of Connecticut. And I was really, you know, a grieving daughter. I had lost my mom. I felt like cannabis could be a way to bring grace back to the dying process, which I believe has been lost here in in america you know we don't cherish the art of dying here and you, we stuff people full of opioids you lose them before they're gone and i really believe that cannabis could help in that process and as somebody who is coming from biotech and an attorney you know i thought let's let's get the data and get the statistics and get it into the hands of physicians and and lawmakers and that will change things and you know it's interesting I'm here in Puerto Rico now where they have a medical program and a lot of the people have that same fervor that I had, you know, a decade ago when I was getting into this. But to be honest, it didn't it didn't change people's minds. I couldn't change physicians' minds. I couldn't change, you know, legislators' minds. Yes, we have movement on the legal level, but at the end of the day, it comes down to money. The states are interested in the taxes they can collect on it. And also votes. If candidates think that they can get more votes by bringing in cannabis consumers, that weighs the the movement at that level. So having, you know, exited my medical pro- cannabis um, company in Connecticut, you know, I went into consulting and then decided to open up again uh, an entity in, in Massachusetts. It was a recreational program. I thought, you know, we'll have less shackles, more ability to to get this into the hands of the people that need it and I won't have to deal with all the compliance issues of medical. Well, that didn't really prove to be true. There's a whole host of other compliance issues, you know, that seem arbitrary and and foolish. But at this time I focused on 
recreational and also really honed in on my legal background. You know, I had always been disgusted by the Controlled Substances Act. I have used cannabis my whole life very productively. I use it to run. I use it to study. I use it to do things that are good for me. Um, and I had also, you know, really been interested in hallucinogens my whole life. And it seems like these drugs are the best for you. And yet these are scheduled so highly uh, under the Controlled Substances Act. And things that are terrible for you, like alcohol and cigarettes, are just available in convenience stores where my seven-year-old is, is at the counter. And, you know, there's a host of comedians, George Carlin, Bill Hicks, a lot of our enlightened prophets in our, you know, in American culture that have said, you know, there's reasons why the drugs that make you dumber are readily available and the ones that make you more enlightened are restricted. And I just don't believe at any level that the prohibition of cannabis is due to public health or any any manner of public good. It's all about money. It's all about power. And the fact that we lock up our young boys for this, specifically our young boys, but not exclusively, is disgusting. And it's time for it to end. And that's what the Cannabis Museum is about. That's what American Warden about is about, which is the current Boston exhibition, the impact that prohibition has had on people. And then the main exhibition, Portland main exhibition, which will be opening um, next month, is about the impact that this prohibition has had on the plant itself, the chemical and genetic makeup of the plant. Let's go and elaborate a little more on American Warden, which is the current exhibition you just mentioned, uh, urging guests to scrutinize incarceration in America against the backdrop of cannabis prohibition. And you make a lot of points when it comes to on the exhibit itself that this stat stands out a lot, that any American male before, born after 2001, regardless of race, has a 1 in 13 chance of ending up behind bars. That is staggering. And with that, you have, even in, in the exhibit itself, you actually have a jail cell inside. Mm-hmm. For people to go ahead and just feel that idea behind it and also just keeping it in such a confined space. Talk to me about where it was that you wanted to have this, the graffiti wall, the encompassing of this whole American Warden exhibit and what it stands for. Yeah, so, you know, we, we have a 6,000-square-foot space in Jamaica Plain, which is a really great neighborhood in Boston. Um, we, it's, a, it's a down, a sub-floor, uh, sorry, it's a basement space, so you, you have to be 21 to enter. That's my only frustration about the museum. I'd love to get younger um, bodies down there, but because it's a, also a dispensary, you have to be 21 to enter, but it's free. You go down, and half of the space is devoted to seed, which is a dispensary where you know, you can talk to people and, and buy cannabis legally. But then the other half is devoted to the Core Cannabis Museum. And what I really liked about that is the juxtaposition of having a legal cannabis counter where anyone that's over 21 can walk in, show their ID, and buy weed right next to a jail cell where many people are still sitting today because they did exactly what you're doing legally. And I really wanted people to understand that we're standing on the shoulders of so many people that have come before and made so many sacrifices in the name of this plant. And, you know, the reason, the way we landed at American Warden is, you know, we had the whole host of, of subjects, you know, we could use for that first exhibition. But at the end of the day, it all seems to go back to incarceration, this, this absolutely astounding phenomenon that we put people in cages 
for plants. I mean, it just, it's hard to wrap your mind around when you think about it fundamentally. And so I started to look into some of the statistics. All of the statistics in that museum are based on the 2019 FBI crime statistics because that was the most recent in the time that we were putting together the exhibition. And, you know, it started to unveil itself, you know, despite housing only 20%, I'm sorry, 5% of the world's population, we house 25% of its inmates. That outpaces all reported imprisonment from Russia, China, and certainly all our NATO partners. Um, we, you know, as you said, any male, any mother's son, my son, who is blonde haired and blue eyed, you know, has a one in 13 chance of ending up behind bars. And I say that he's blonde haired and blue eyed for a reason. You know, I think sometimes the conversation gets caught up. It, it gets stalled out, right? Because because if you're if you have a son who is a black male born after 2001, they have a one in three chance of ending up behind bars. Latino male, one in six. White, one in 17. But that last statistic, one in 13, relates to all of us. And I think a lot of people get lost in, in that other, that earlier statistics and they're, they're frustrated and they're angry about the difference. But the reality is the statistic is unacceptable for all of us, no matter your race. We live in a police state. You know, another really interesting one, in 2019, despite having almost half of the states legalized, at least, or decriminalized uh, for cannabis, there were over 500,000 arrests for cannabis, 80% of those for simple possession. That number outpaces the arrests for all violent crime put together. Wow. I mean, wow. that's disgusting. And completely a drain on our 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 financial system. I do not want to pay to keep a boy in jail for cannabis. Do you? <laughs> Does anyone? Who's making no. all these decisions and why? Right. It, it, the priorities in some in a lot of cases of law enforcement to go ahead and go after possession or distribution or just you know, just the use. It's it's been one of the things that just continues to be a controlling factor. It's a way to just control parts of society that, that people are just looking to continue to keep oppressed and disenfranchised. That's the idea of that. And even just when you feel it in, you know, just licensing and for, for those that want to go ahead and be in the industry itself, legacy operators, because of their track record, they want to be, you know, they want to go and do something that they've been very good at, even though it might not have been legal, but now if they want to go and do something legit, they can't because they're, they're still held back by, you know, previous actions that, law enforcement deemed are still illegal because the laws are still antiquated. They have not been changed yet. Now, That's I'll, right. And even, go ahead. sorry, I was just going to say, even that, you know, it's a, there's a very nuanced issue in cannabis right now, right? We have this, you know, sort of banner, like let's, let's help the people who have been most impacted by the drug war, right? So sometimes there's race criteria, there's location criteria, for those that can apply for licenses, which I think initially starts out with good intent, right? I'd like to believe that at the legislative level, it starts out with good intent. But the reality is that even those laws have now been tinkered with enough that they're really just lip service for a social equity applicant, right? You you have the a requirement that the business be owned, like some some majority ownership by one of these people that grew up or was really impacted by the drug war. 
but the businesses take millions and millions of dollars. So who is going to give investment? Who's going to turn over millions of dollars to a company, to someone who has not had the resources or the experience to run one of these companies? So it's like an impossible little circle. And you end up with these big companies who have a token front person who is getting some minimal amount of the deal, but it's the same people running the show as always have. They don't care about cannabis. They care about the money. It's the same situation. So I, I urge people to scrutinize these social equity um, rules and regulations because they're not being like everything in our system. It starts out with good intent and then gets manipulated and torqued until. And in terms of those social equity regulations, our interest in the museum is not based on on race or, or conviction or any of those things. Our interest is in making sure that cannabis consumers, anyone who is consuming cannabis, are the people that are now in the industry, consuming it, growing it, risking their lives and freedom to sell it. That's that's the group that I think needs to be brought into the industry. I want to now focus more as well on the dispensary and because not only are you doing the seed dispensary you have there in Jamaican Plains, Jamaican Plain in Boston, you now are also ready to go and open a new location in Portland, Maine. And that will also include a museum, uh, a museum exhibit as well in that. And you have a, what's being called seed to soul. Uh, talking about the move into Portland and, and, this where the concept is actually come along to go ahead and build another dispensary alongside with another museum exhibit and putting that together. Yeah, so I've always loved Portland, Maine. I, I have a strong connection to Maine. I I really wanted to um, carry on with this museum side by side with dispensary. You know, we want to be different. We want to make sure that we're carrying the fire and and making sure we recognize the cannabis consumer population. So this exhibit is a little is different. You know, this one is a separate entrance. So now I can accept all visitors under 21. I think it's important that kids understand cannabis and, and normalize it alongside alcohol and cigarettes and all the other things that kids are exposed to. Um, but this exhibit is really fun. What the concept is, is an inverted cultivation facility. So when you walk in, you should have the experience that you are inside one of the new commercial cultivation facilities so the lights are coming up from the floor the plants are growing from the ceiling and that's really trying to is a it's sort of a a way to compare drug policy uh which i believe is upside down in america um to this you know cultivation facility and really we're just trying to point out all the ways that american drug policy is 100 percent upside down like we've blown it don't understand it and i want to really make that comparison or or that um you know that metaphor i guess um exist in people's minds and then when you go upstairs um we start with the seed and we track the seed all the way through the cannabis cultivation process all the way through processing and then into your body and into your endocannabinoid system to where you get that high that high that you feel in your soul and that's where the name comes from seed to soul. I want people to understand the cultivation and processing process. I know they're interested in it. And I want people to understand all the magic that happens between these transitions, you know, when the, the nutrients are being absorbed into the root hairs, when the the cannabinoids are, are bursting into the trichomes, when the, the THC itself is interacting with your body's endocannabinoid system and, and giving you that feeling and elevating your your mind state. That's what this is about. I want it to be fun. 
I want it to be immersive, and I hope people will come. And within the species themselves, uh, you have flower, edibles, vapes, tinctures, topicals, concentrates across the board. If you can, for those who want to go to the website real quick, it's seedyourhead.com, S-E-D, yourhead.com, to look at both locations in Boston and Portland. Uh, take our listeners into a couple of the highlights of some products that you really are stand out that have been really popular and, and you just really want to point people to. Yeah, so Seed, I had a really strong mission with Seed. You know, my original um, operation was cultivation and processing with no dispensary. And so really focused on, on my own products uh, in Connecticut. But with Seed, I really wanted the opportunity to curate the selection. So I wanted to have no requirement to sell my own product right? Because then if you have a harvest that's not so great, you're still pushing that product. We get to hand select because we don't have a grow. We get to hand select the products that are the best in Massachusetts. In addition, the training of the staff is paramount. So whether you are brand new to cannabis, you never have touched cannabis, you don't know anything about it, or you've been on the streets, you know, selling, hustling since you were 10, know everything, canister, concentrate, all that, anybody would feel comfortable in here. And that was the line I was, that was the, the balance that I was trying to go for. You know, in the store, we have such a range of products. People have gotten so, um, you know, creative. We are, have all sorts of new and upcoming baked goods that are coming out. We have these, there's one thing I really like, like I'm really interested in low dose. I really like low dose during the day. So these two and a half milligram bullets of chocolate, we have, seltzers i love the seltzers because they reduce alcohol intake you know i could have a drink or a glass of wine or something go out and then switch to seltzers and i feel so much better uh not drinking as much um also have this cool line of hemp uh cigarettes which are meant to get you off of smoking cigarettes and have had great success been testing them out with our employees so those are some of the things that i really think people will be interested in we have a terpene wall there so you can go in and interact directly with uh the six most prevalent terpenes in the indica and sativa type plants and you know indica and sativa has its own problems in terms of you know identifying certain strains but people still work with it so we just want to get people to understand that these terpenes are what give it these various profiles and sometimes effects and you can walk up to the wall you know, interact with the terpene exhibit, decide which one smells right to you. And a lot of times that will lead you to the strain that will serve your body best. Fantastic. So seed dispensary, you can find it again in Boston and Portland with the accompanying core, core social justice cannabis museum uh, in both locations. And one more time, we'll go ahead and give the website. So core, C-O-R-E cannabis.org and seedyourhead.com. Uh, April, I want to give a chance to go and just anything else that people want you should want to let listeners know to go ahead and stay connected and any other things you can tell us in terms of what to look forward to from both the museums and the dispensaries proper. Yeah, so um, we are opening another dispensary in Somerville and looking forward to that. Really love that community. Very cool vibe, similar to, to Jamaica Plain. Happy to be having a seed there. And additionally, American Warden, the exhibition in 
Jamaica Plain Boston is moving. We're, it's been running for a little over two years, and we want to go ahead and bring in a new exhibition. So that will be going on the road. I'm in Puerto Rico now. They really want the exhibition. And so we're working on placement here. And then replacing it will be an exhibition about the impact that our American drug laws have had on our Caribbean neighbors. So we're focusing on Puerto Rico, Jamaica, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which has a very interesting history with um, with cannabis prohibition and, and United States involvement in persecuting their uh, generational growers. And interestingly, also has something called an amnesty program, which is the first I've really been in awe of, which allows generational growers to sell directly into the market with no licensing. And I think if we really wanted to, you know, cherish the generational growers and the traditional farmers who have kept this plant alive through all of this prohibition, that's what that's what justice would look like. Fantastic. I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and, and giving us all this insight. I hope best of luck with the museum and this museum dispensary concept. I'm glad you evolved from the idea that you were going to go with, with just cultivation process and to bring something that was just much more, you know, so much more inspired. It's really great that you were able to put this together again. April Erosate, Executive Director of the Core Social Justice Cannabis Museum and the CEO and founder of Seed Dispensary. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the co-founder of the House of Cannabis, Robert Fry, here on Blunt Business after a short break. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My next guest has now created the first ever permanent home celebrating high culture and its impact on music, music, art, fashion, social reform, and cultivation. It features 10 mind-bending immersive experiences created by artists and filmmakers, transporting guests to the many dimensions of cannabis culture. It's now the House of Cannabis, found in New York and the Soho District. And I'm joined right now with the creator, the CEO of the West Side Museum, Robert Fry. Robert, thanks for being on with us. Thank you for having me. So now, for those that are, you know, avid New Yorkers, New Yorker, you visited many times. If you get your kind of lay of the land, it's a 30,000 square foot historic cast iron building. And it's on the intersection of Howard and Broadway. Uh, you'll have a private lounge, ground level gathering space featuring community events, a cafe, corner store, live glass blowing, and a curated assortment of cannabis-inspired lifestyle products. That's, that's an ambitious project, Robert. Tell me about this. And now the grand opening that just happened on April 7th, so it was about a month ago as we were recording. Talk to me how things have gone so far. Uh, everything's going uh, well. You know, we, we had a soft 
opening April 7th, culminating with our grand opening party on 420. Uh, it was it was great. We had a boogie with the hoodie uh, perform. Nice. We had a lot of the local cannabis vendors come in, and it was just a great way to celebrate uh, New York's uh, you know entry into the legal cannabis market. Now, for you to go and put something like this together, I don't know of any places where you had a rule. We've heard of people trying to make you know creating museums, exhibits, something to go ahead and commemorate. And to show a, a real status of where cannabis has been in art, pop culture, and fashion. So, if people are going to the house of cannabis, do you feel like they're gonna? Do you feel like you've done a lot where it comes to? Is it a lot where that stoner stereotype plays into play? A lot of green, a lot of black, a lot of that feel of where you just see leaves all over the place. Like, give me a sense of what what is it that you actually were designing when putting this together. Is it something that kind of plays to what people might see as that stereotype, or is it really opening up the eyes to something even much more, uh, much more colorful? You know, I think it's much more colorful. It's it's more of the latter. Uh, you know, our our mission statement was to elevate, uh, you know, the way cannabis is perceived through society, uh, as you mentioned earlier, through fashion, art, culture, music, social justice. So we really went about trying to make each each of the ten rooms unique. And when you come and experience it, you'll see there's a lot of AV component. Um, you know, there is a, a few green elements, but mostly we wanted to really kind of highlight the local artists we use and let them have a direction to show what cannabis uh, would look like elevated through all the different um, the different uh, aspects that it touches culturally. What would you say has been the real highlight that people have really You've gotten the most praise for the most attention for uh, for people upon entering the house of cannabis. I think they're just kind of surprised the way everything's set up. I mean, if you walk, you know, the lobby has a great appeal. You know, it has unique products in it, has one of a kind merchandise, has a, a, a coffee bar that's has uh, roots from Jamaica, as you said, the glass blowing studio. So I think you're kind of getting into. Uh, you know, a magical start. And then as you go through the exhibits, um, you really get to see things that you, you weren't expecting is, is when you, you know, the thoughts you have are coming in. You've gotten a lot of press about this so far. And the fact is just that with this here, this house of cannabis coincides with the opening of adult use legalization, seeing a lot of new dispensaries coming into the limelight you know, is that was that something that was kind of synchronized, kind of timed out to coincide with that? Yeah, we felt, yes, we felt New York was a very important market. I mean, California, you know, may may create a lot of stuff, but New York is what makes it cool. And I think with the, you know, the 61 million visitors, the 20 million, you know, people that live near the tri-state area, uh, it was a good place to launch because New Yorkers enjoy cannabis so much. It has such a, a deep history uh, especially in the legacy market with branson and and with all the brands that were started you know starting in the 70s until now you know new york has such a deep cultural relevance and if you really go back you can see you know how it interacted with culture many years ago and celebrities and music and, and art you know that was new york was famous for so you talked before Forbes magazine and you made this point saying that how quote, how cannabis ties into film and art and music. We wanted to weed that into the building. 
and you took a lot of care for each room. Normally you have one or two highlights, but you wanted to touch upon everything through art, fashion, or music, learning about the plant, giving people a wide range of visual arts to experience. When you were putting this together, the mindset of what people probably didn't know was really a tie-in to what how cannabis really comes into play and how much intertwined it is in the pop culture and how much, say, Hollywood or Broadway or you know the art world have really taken what has inspired them from consuming to what has inspired them from just the whole lifestyle of having it as part of your experience. What can you tell me about, you know, your own experience that you felt like what would be the right things to add into the exhibiting of this building? You know, that's a great question. I think, uh, you know, when I was a child, uh, you know, my mother had cancer and wasn't given very long to live. And, you know, she uh, ended up, you know, turning to cannabis and it helped her so much. I, you know, I learned at an early age that it has, you know, the plant is very special and that it, it does have the ability to, you know, change people's life in a positive way. So I think that was kind of my start as a, as a young boy. And then, you know, watching, you know, all the all the great music from the from the seventies. I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and the, and then just seeing, you know, a lot of you learn about a lot of you know filmmakers that that, that wrote movies on cannabis or any any of the great, um, you know, some of the artists that smoke cannabis. In fact, one of the rooms we have uh, is called the Art of Sneakers, and you know a lot of the artists who created this, you know, talk about their use of cannabis. So I think you get to learn firsthand. You know how people use the plant for a creative nature. People magazine did a really comprehensive look of what you find of the 10 exhibits you have there at the House of Cannabis. The Euphorium looks fantastic. I feel like it's just a I feel like a really cool hip sense of a nightclub feel to it. It's almost like a I think of a club that I used to go to spring break, uh called club la vila then there's an area called the thunderdome and it would definitely have this thing with like different rooms of different vibes different environments i feel like you definitely have that here with the music going on along with it light show as well and then parts you also definitely don't want to make it where it's just something that's supposed to entertaining you also want to educate in the form so part of that too is the form where you're along with the drug policy alliance you're educating people on the many unknown ways that practices can have a negative ripple effect so you really cover a lot of ground here uh, when it comes to the activist part, to the educational part, have you had a lot of people that have come in that might not, that might have, been, have never adopted the cannabis, never really got into it, are completely novices into it, that have entered and come in with a different view? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's one of the groups who wanted to target was the can of curious that maybe they don't smoke cannabis. They wanted to learn about the plant. You know, I think we touch upon the, the science of it. You know, we touch a, a little bit of, of the of the social injustice. So they get to learn, you know, all the different ways that the cannabis reaches people and, and touches people. And the old factory I love where you have also demonstrating for natural terpenes found in the plant, an aromatic experience. So the, all the different sensations that the plant evokes, a lot of work got into this. And now with this particular building, one of the other things you also want to do as part of a kind of expansion to it is that you want to want to go ahead and incorporate a cannabis consumption lounge. We know that in Vegas, 
Uh, we were just talking about uh, someone in suburban Chicago that just opened up, you know, cafe, bakery kind of feel to it, a hybrid to have it as a cannabis consumption lounge. The same thing goes for what you're also looking to do as well. Uh, what can you tell me about what you want to go and do that will distinguish what you do in New York with the cannabis consumption lounge than other places might have? Well, look, I think, you know, the laws aren't out yet, so it's a tough question to answer because we don't know until the OCM here puts out their cannabis uh, consumption laws. You know, it's all speculation. But I think, you know, like anything else in New York, you know, there's a lot of uh, private clubs or membership clubs or even adjacent clubs that exist in current museums. So we're excited at the opportunity once those regulations come out to explore what that may look like. And, and again, it follows through what we're trying to achieve is just to elevate everything that comes around the plant and, and what would it look like you know, what would it look like for people to have that experience in an elevated manner? Well, I asked that because of the fact of your experience. I mean, you did uh, run the pure nightclub inside of Caesars Palace Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. And you were the, the, the group that also brought, you know, the Pussycat Lounge, uh, Dallas Lounge in Las Vegas for as part of that. Without knowing what you can do in terms of cannabis use or consumption in the lounges, what would the experience be like that you would bring that, that would draw people in? Any ideas that you would bring from Vegas to New York? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, the, the you know, the service, um, you know, why do people go to Las Vegas? Because they feel good about their experience, right? They get to come into a beautiful room uh, with beautiful furniture and great service, name recognition. So I don't think, uh, you know, there's anything that exists like this in cannabis today. No. So if we can, if we can put it in a setting uh, that makes people feel like they've walked into a very magical, special place to consume cannabis. That's what we're, you know, going after. It's incredible what you put together. It's a huge setup. Again, we talk about the fact that there's a private lounge, uh, community events you'll have holding there, cafe, corner store, live glass blowing. What can you tell me about what is something that you're going to have in terms of the New York faithful, the, the locals there? Is there something that you're going to be doing in terms of where this is not so much a tourist destination as it is a locals destination to come and visit regularly? What what kind of events can people expect? Well, I think that goes into um, you know that goes into how we program it. So I think you know you you're not going to program it for tourists, right? You're going to program it for locals that can come and use the facility, whether that's through uh, medical lectures product launches, educational classes, community building, all uh, with the um, inspiration of connecting community through cannabis. So I think that's your answer is really to figure out how to connect people um, and make them feel part of the cannabis culture that's going on in New York. Also want to make mention of what you're doing to give back, obviously with the, the price for those that want to go ahead and visit the, the house of cannabis. What you're also doing is you're partnering with a second U foundation. 20% of its employees are being uh, previously incarcerated individuals. So you're giving back to that organization. Talk to me about that tie in. Yeah, I think that's been the most rewarding, uh, rewarding part. You know, I think, uh, you know, working with, individuals that were incarcerated and getting back into society, um, you know, just getting to know them, working with them. They're mostly responsible for getting us across the finish line, dedicating hard hours, um, 
making sure everything's done right. It's just been really a pleasure and an honor for us. Fantastic. I want to go ahead and get more things uh, brought up here for people to go ahead and get involved and find out and set up your travel plans, folks. If you're going in New York City, it's at 427 Broadway, the Soho District, uh, open 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. And that's, uh, would that be seven days a week? Uh, how often will, will the... Yeah, now, now we're, uh, you know, in in uh, until summer hours, we're, uh, you know, Wednesday through Sunday, but we'll okay. go seven days a week, uh, you know, during the summer. So the question I have is, how come you haven't come yet? I just was in New York. I met, I was actually there about a month and a half ago, but I missed the grand opening. Hey, please, I'll you know, let me know. I'll go and grab a ticket, come back up. I love New York City, and I would love to go and go visit. Where are you based? I'm in uh, South Florida, West Palm Beach. Well, so, yeah, you're smart, enjoying the nice weather. <laughs> well, I was up there because uh, my alma mater, Florida Atlantic, was at a. They, they were playing the NCAA basketball championships. So they were playing at Madison Square Garden, and they did fairly well. You had a good run. Congratulations! Did. Yeah, thank you very much. Though about twenty miles, I walked over what thirty six hours, and one of the places I didn't get to go is what up that way uh, near the Javits and up that way up Broadway. But uh, it was that would be it's it's good also to have an experience where you know what a new attraction to go to and visit and something that's completely different than everything else out there. I mean, come on, you want to go see the state Statue of Liberty, the Empire State? Come on. You don't want to do that. House of Cannabis. Put that as part of your agenda to visit coming up. Website is thcnyc.com, thcnyc.com. And you can also buy tickets from there. Uh, Robert Fry, again, with the House of Cannabis, I appreciate you taking time to go and talk to me here today. And I hope we can get a lot of people to go through the doors and go visit up in New York, especially right now. Great time of year to go. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That's going to do it for Blunt Business. Thanks for listening in. We'll talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.